phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello, Floyd from Federation Radio once again. So it's day two of the seven day special, and this time we're covering an episode called Mud's Women, which is see, uh, episode seven of season one. <laughs> now, Harry Mudd is a weird character that, you know, is around. He He's kind of renowned in the Star Trek universe. Like, we're going to see him again, little spoiler alert, but we are definitely going to be seeing him again in the original series at least. I want to say at least two more times at a minimum, just off my memory. But, um, yeah, so he's going to show up again. But anyway, we'll get more into who he is as we go over the episode. So the episode starts with Kirk and the crew chasing a small ship. It's a bit of a freighter ship. It is out here pretty much illegally. We'll get into how it's illegal because that's actually really weird and it was kind of an interesting conversation. But it seems they didn't file a flight plan which makes them a hazard apparently even though I kind of agree with mud space is huge one little freighter like that not filing a plan surely can't cause that much damage but whatever they're flying illegally within the Federation so they chase him down he tries to escape them in his freighter ends up near an asteroid field burns out his engines trying to outrun the Enterprise the Enterprise then uses its deflector shield to try and protect Mudship, which burns out most of the dilithium crystals, or in this case, just lithium crystals apparently, I don't know if they actually called them dilithium, I think they were just lithium at this point, but whatever, burns out two out of three. Now the third one is cracked, damaged, and can only run the ship for a limited time. So they immediately, you know, they stop the ship, they manage to protect the ship from being destroyed, temporarily, and then they use the transporter to first bring Mud aboard, and then bring three women aboard who are on board with Mud. Now, immediately, there starts to be problems on the ship. From the second the women come on board, they start having electronic problems. Monitors start flickering whenever the women walk past them. McCoy makes an offhanded comment at one point about, are you wearing something radioactive? And she says, no, it's just me. So at first, they're not really sure what's going on. Now, Harry Mud is immediately charged with all sorts of things, flying illegally, you know, not filing a flight path, endangering a Federation ship, I mean, you name it, they stack the, the things on top of him one after another, all the charges. So, we end up in this position where Mud's aboard and these three women have come aboard, and immediately you see an almost, almost an intoxication effect from these women on all the crew. So, it's not just that they're good-looking, there's more to it than that. Like, this is not just they're finding them attractive. This is, they're almost going brain-dead stupid. It's like they've been drugged. All except uh, Spock, of course, who is completely unaffected because he controls all of his emotions just perfectly and finds this entire thing annoying and kind of strange. Now, Mud is basically thrown into a set of quarters where guards are posted and he's not allowed to leave. The women, however, are given a bit more free reign because it's established pretty quickly that the women are on board his ship for, as, as Mud puts it, why, he is a wife recruiter who is recruiting wives for men on frontline colonies. Now, supposedly, and so he says, this is completely voluntary. These women grew up on, on um, colonies where there weren't many men. One of them makes a comment about how she grew up with nothing more than her parents and two brothers to care for. 
on a colony where almost everything was automated. There's no people, so there's no men for them to marry, there's no one for them to be close to, so there's just nothing for them. So they've actually voluntarily gotten on board with Mud, who seems to be pretty much a con man who has... <laughs> We'll get into more of why he's a con man later, but they've gotten on board with him and he's transporting them to a colony somewhere to get married, which feels real weird, gotta be honest. A guy transporting women to marry strangers they've never met before just feels like a very weird storyline that I definitely would never have gone through. But whatever, that's how it works. Now, on board, they have a trial. Now, I should add, at this point... um. When Mud comes aboard, he doesn't call himself Harry Mud. At first, he goes by Leo Walsh, and he claims his name is Mr. Walsh. Now, the trial begins. The three ladies are sitting there next to Mud. However, they're not officially being charged with anything. They're just here to basically observe. Now, Kirk and Spock and Scotty and you name it, it, it feels like a whole lot of people are there judging this trial. Now, they use a computer lie detector during the trial, which is an interesting tool that we don't see used all that often by Federation, which is interesting. I don't really know what that means. I don't know if we ever see it come up again, but we'll see, because there are definitely more court cases in Star Trek's future. But basically, they charge Mud with all sorts of things. They work out immediately when they say, state your name. He says, Leo Walsh, and the computer says, incorrect. And after a while of this, him basically lying consistently, eventually admits, yes, my name is Harry Mudd, or Harcourt Fraud Mudd, or something. Not Fraud, or Fraid, or something like that. He has a proper name, but he just goes by Harry Mudd. And they look in through his records, through the computer, they determine that he has been charged with all sorts of things. Buying a starship with counterfeit currency, he's been accused of fraud, and he somehow managed to get all of these charges dropped, but they're still on his record, so... He's a man that has a very colourful history. And then, this is what I wanted to bring up before about the ship being illegal. He says, Your ship was being operated without a master's licence, which... What the hell is a master's license? I don't think that ever gets mentioned again in Star Trek. I think initially there was some kind of license required to drive a starship, which, to be honest, it never really comes up much, but that would actually make a hell of a lot of sense in the Federation for them to be some form of centralized, almost like a driver's license, because a starship, even a small one like his, a freighter ship, is a pretty damn big machine. You wouldn't really want just anybody who happens to be able to afford one or get their hands on them being able to just get up in space because someone accidentally hits the wrong switch and goes warp through a ship like the Enterprise. It could cause literally hundreds of deaths, possibly thousands. It's not something I've ever actually considered before about civilian life. Like, yeah, civilians also have ships. There are freighters. There are things that are not Federation official exploration ships, and those ships require pilots that have to have some form of notification, but... I don't know. I'm going to look into the Master License. I'm going to see what the background information on that is at some point, and we'll see. But I'm almost 100% that's something that never, ever comes up again, which is interesting. But it was a cool idea that I think they dropped. But again, cool idea, cool concept. You know, and during the trial, they basically established, yeah, Harry Mud, guilty of so many things. Kirk basically has no time for him. He gives him no... He doesn't give him an inch. He's just like, no. This, you're guilty. You're absolutely guilty. Your history tells me that you're guilty of lots of things. I don't know how you managed to weasel your way out of it. You're not weaseling your way out of this. We're going to 
a colony nearby where we're going to pick up some lithium crystals and then we're going to go drop you off at the nearest authority. Presumably to basically be trialed and trialed officially, or at least have some kind of court go through the file of the trial that Kirk is now holding and then sentence him and presumably put him on a penal colony somewhere. Now the women, Kirk makes a point of, the women are not actually being charged with anything. Like the women are completely innocent, they were there voluntarily, they didn't know about all of his problems, they're going to also be handed over to a colony. However, the problem about the ship's power is getting worse. Actually, as this trial's ending, they get a radio message saying, from the bridge, from Sulu, saying the last lithium crystal, or lithium, I don't remember which they said, but the last crystal has just burned out. We're now on full battery power, which, interesting, I've never actually heard them talk about battery power to power a ship before. It's actually a really good idea, because quite often the warp drive goes down when it gets damaged in combat or spatial anomalies, and usually that leads them to very limited power, usually to the point where they're shutting down basically everything but life support. This is the first time I've actually recalled them mentioning a battery system, which you would think as a redundancy would make perfect sense because there's a million things that could go wrong with your power system you'd at the very least like to be able to run the basic things like life support to keep your crew alive for at least a limited amount of time to fix these problems i don't know maybe the battery system is something they kept around it's just not something i recall them ever mentioning all that much so i thought it was pretty cool but anyway the dilithium crystals are damaged. Harry Mudd obviously hears this, and he hears that they're going to Rigel 12, which is a basically dilithium mining world where there's some very rich miners who have been mining dilithium crystals, which at this point in time, uh, what do you call it? The machines they use to create things out of energy don't seem to really exist in the same form they do later in Star Trek, but in any case, even later on, we're told dilithium crystals cannot be manufactured by these machines. They're one of the few materials that the Federation does actually have to mine for. They are one of the very few limited resources that the Federation is powered by. They are incredibly important to the economy and political movements, basically, of the entire quadrant, because every single species relies on them for their starships. Which brings up this interesting point of these colonies. <laughs> and also, these colonies... Because they talk to these people, because obviously they're coming to Rigel 12 to pick up ge uh, gems, to pick up lithium crystals to power the ship again and presumably get it to a proper space dock where it can do its own fixing of the systems and repairs from all the damage Mud caused. And also catalogue it all, because it'll probably all be put against him in whatever trial he's going to. But you know... So that's happening. Mud gets really excited when he hears this, and he immediately comes up with a plan. He sends the girls, one by one, out of his quarters because they have this weird, as I mentioned, intoxicating effect on all the people on the ship. And it allows them to get into places and get people to admit things they normally wouldn't. He sends them out on missions. One of them, Eve, is supposed to seduce Captain Kirk. She's laying on his bed when he gets back to his room. She sort of tries to do it, but at one point she kind of has a breakdown, almost, where she just says, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I hate that mud. And then she leaves the room. And Kirk's obviously very confused, like, why, what's going on? The other women have been throughout the ship checking on the systems. One of them was getting the comm signal to work out exactly what um, radio brand, or whatever you call it, radio broadcast sequence, or whatever it was. Basically getting the number they need to use a communicator, which she also collects from the crew, 
and brings that to Mud so that he can contact Rigel 12 without the rest of the crew knowing. To basically set a trap for Captain Kirk. And uh, it's actually not a badly thought out plan, except for the fact that the ship has security that could just overwhelm him. So I'm not really sure how he ever thought this was realistically going to work, but not a terrible plan. As far as an entrepreneur goes who doesn't have weapons on board, this is a pretty good shot at taking over a starship. So he's plan. He contacts Rigel 12. On Rigel 12, there's apparently only three miners. And they're said to be very wealthy men. Like, one of them makes a comment at one point that he has mined enough dilithium crystals that he could buy queens if he wanted. So, you know, we're led to believe they're very wealthy, which is, again, interesting because the Federation supposedly doesn't have wealth. They don't have incomes. And yet in this episode, we meet people that do. Which sort of suggests to me that either these colonies are outside of Federation jurisdiction and still have economies and force the Federation to buy and sell from them, probably through trade or other supplies, but I'm not really sure. Or it's a Federation world and at this point in the writing that whole idea of there not being an economy just hadn't really been developed yet. But anyway, these guys basically get contacted by Mud. Mud gives them a deal. I'll give you three beautiful women, new wives for you. I hear there's three men here, you need wives. All I need you to do for me is to not give the dilithium crystals to Captain Kirk until he declares me captain of the ship or drops all charges so that I can stay with you until another ship comes and I get an opportunity to leave. And, you know, they are three lonely men who live on, as we see when we get to the planet, it's quite a dusty planet, they live in these little me metallic cylinder things. And it's basically just a dusty rock planet that has pretty much nothing but, I guess, dilithium mines. They live in these crappy little huts, but they seem to keep them alive. Basically, the point being, though, they're lonely. They're lonely. They're probably pretty depressed. They're living in a pretty honestly depressing-looking place. They don't have much to do. There's not much in the way of entertainment. They just work. And I guess the idea of having a beautiful wife at their house to cook for them and look after them and be there with them to keep them company is pretty appealing to them. So they're down for this and they basically tell Kirk when he lands, oh, where are the girls? Where is Mr. Mud? We're willing to take his deal. And we're not going to be giving you the crystals. And Kirk's not too impressed by this because his ship, as we're told at this point, has about, I think it's about eight hours left of power when they first arrive, maybe five so, you know, unless they get dilithium crystals, pretty soon the ship's not going to be able to hold its orbit. It's going to start to fall towards the planet, and on top of that, the life support's going to run out, which means that everyone on the ship is going to suffocate. So, you know, understandably, Kirk's pretty, you know, he wants to get this done. He needs these crystals. So he's willing, He base, at first he says, no deal. I'm not giving you that deal. Harry Mudd's a criminal. These women, it's up to them what they do, but he is a criminal. I'm not passing down all the all the charges. And after an hour or two, it becomes pretty apparent that they're not going to back down. They don't care if the ship crashes. So Kirk comes down and sort of humiliates himself and says, fine, I'll take your deal. And the miner, very rudely, basically says, I'll think about it, Captain. And then walks past him and goes to dance with the girls. Just sort of shrugs him off. Like, whatever, I'll get to you when I'm ready. Makes Kirk, the authority figure, pretty small. But then we have a bit of an incident where one of the girls, Eve, the blonde girl that was sent to sleep with Kirk, who didn't do it, but um, you know that one starts to look out the window and says to one of the miners about how 
dusty it is here and how depressing it sort of looks and starts having a bit of a coughing fit because of the dust. Now the other two miners are having fun. They're dancing with the two other pretty girls and they're having a great old time. And he sort of cuts in on one of the others to dance because sort of as we can see he doesn't really want Eve or at least at this point he doesn't. This, understandably, gets her a bit upset because she's from a world where there's no men. She's being used by this um, person who's a con man. Captain Kirk is basically not caring about her that much. Just He was planning on dropping her off at the next civilized point. He wasn't going to find her husband. And now the man that she's supposed to marry is basically trying to run off with another girl instantly because whatever. So that's left her pretty upset and she decides, screw it, and she just yells at them, why don't you have a raffle and the loser wins me and then runs out the door into the storm out in the world. She gets lost because it's a dust storm. Like one of the miners even mentions like when the dust picks up, you can get lost barely seven or eight feet from your door. Like it's pretty bad out there. She gets lost. One of the miners goes after her, as does Kirk. Kirk ends up having to be transported back to the ship. Presumably he communicates to them, like, beam me back up, I'm lost, I'm confused, we need to find her. He's using the ship's sensors, but they're struggling. Meanwhile, there's a scene on the planet where the miner does actually find her, takes her into his home. He doesn't contact the ship because he doesn't really care about Kirk and the crew, that's not his concern. And he's talking with her. And they sort of, you start to see they do have a little chemistry, they actually do get along. They're sort of sarcastic to each other, they make jokes, but for the most part you can see they, they do sort of work well together. Except, there's a moment where, what I haven't mentioned yet, these beautiful women. On the ship there was a point where they all started grabbing their face, and all their skin started drying out, and like the makeup... They, they really did, like, age them up. They added lines and veins, and they added all fake, like, wrinkles all around their eyes. Basically trying to show that these women actually aren't that attractive. They're not these models that they appear to be. Realistically, they're only that because, as they keep yelling at mud at this point, where are the pills? He has been giving them something that gets revealed later called a Venus drug. Apparently the Venus drug, as mud describes it when he comes down to the planet... Because he comes... So, let me go back to the story. So, they're together. They're in the room. Eventually, Kirk works out what's happening. He beams down with Mud. They find Eve and this miner. I can't remember his name, but... They find them there. They start talking to them. At first, the guy's like, what's going on? Why does she look like that? She looks different to when I first saw her. The other two men, we now learn have been married through subspace radio, so married remotely, I guess. Now, Kirk says to this miner, you know, they can change their minds if they wish. They can divorce them and we can drop them off somewhere else or whatever. Like, they're not stuck in this, we promise, because the reason being... And then he turns to Mud and says, tell them. And Mud starts to explain the Venus drugs. They're basically drugs. The reason why all the men seemed intoxicated and the reason why all these things are happening was because they were taking Venus drugs, which are drugs that are illegal in the Federation, presumably because of all the side effects, like it affecting electronics and stuff. But Mud describes them as being a drug that makes gives you more of what you already have. He says that when men take it, they become more muscular, more attractive, more confident, and a little stronger. When women take it, they become more beautiful. They become more, you know, all the good things become, more, you know, better, as he said. It enhances what you already have. 
which is really actually a kind of interesting concept and I need to look into Venus drugs again. That's another thing that I wonder if that comes up again. I don't particularly remember it, but that is the type of drug that I could see coming up in a future storyline at some point down the line because it exists in the universe. Presumably other cultures use it. So it seems interesting. Now, at first, he's a bit upset about this. He's like, oh, it's a lie. You know, this is not the real you. You lied to me. You don't actually look that attractive. So she takes pills and she sort of holds her head back after taking the pills and she looks back and she suddenly has this like air of confidence and she goes back to being the almost model like. Except the thing is, I think this story was meant to be a bit more about self-esteem, perhaps even an attack on like the makeup industry and the way it makes women feel when they're not using it. Because you get this weird persona of the fake you through makeup and how attractive that is. Which in turn, subconsciously, makes a lot of women feel that they're not attractive without it. In most cases, that's not really true. Most women look just fine without it. I won't deny it makes them look better, but... Women get this whole self-esteem, and not just women, some men, but it's very rare for most men to use makeup. I've never used it in my life, I don't understand the thing, but... You know, it, it's a self-esteem thing. I think this episode was trying to show a lot of that sort of story. Because Roddenberry and that, as much as they were kind of shallow in their own ways, like, they did try and tackle real social things in these episodes. And personally, I think this episode was a lot more to do with loneliness and lacking self-respect. Well, not self-respect, but lacking self-confidence and the reliance that lots of women have on makeup. Which, I might add, in today's day, is worse than it's ever been before. Because now, not only do we have makeup that has, of course, just like every other technology, gotten better since the 60s, so makeup is now easier, far more applicable, far more affordable in most cases, and it can do far more. But also, we now have things like social media, Snapchat filters, Instagram filters. Women can take a selfie of themselves, or men, and they can immediately put a filter on it. And that's what the world will see. They will see a picture of them looking different. We actually saw a phenomenon not that long ago where a lot of women on Instagram in Texas, it was, there was a court case where Texas was going after Instagram for some kind of filter. I don't remember the exact case, but during the course of the trial in Texas, the filter could not be used. Instagram had to remove it locally from the area. And a lot of women, particularly like influencers and social media women that are, you know, they make their money and their image there, wouldn't use it. They refused to put pictures up or selfies during that period because basically no one had seen their actual faces without filters and they were so self-conscious about it, they were not willing. And it brought up this whole discussion of like, well, this episode shows you, even back in the 60s, this discussion was being had, probably has been being had for centuries however long makeup's been around because when you put on a fake face like that it makes you feel good when people you know respond to you so when you take it off and people look at you and go oh you don't look as good as yesterday it affects them mentally and i think this episode really really was trying to show that and it's interesting because like i said in the modern day this is still very much an issue and if anything this issue is getting more serious by the year and it's not just women now, like, not, I mean, it is still mostly just women, but, like, it's also, like, younger women. We're now seeing, like, high school girls afraid to go to school without makeup. High school girls afraid to have pictures without filters taken off them. 
and that's affecting them as they develop and it's a really like I don't want to go too much into the psychology of that both one because I'm not a psychologist and two because again I don't wear makeup I'm not the sort of person that uses filters because I really don't care about that sort of thing like whatever I am what I am you see me as I am I'm not one to really shy away from that but you know a lot of women do. This is a very serious issue for women, and this episode did a very good job, especially in the era that it was in, of showing that issue. But, you know, anyway, basically the episode ends with, you know, the Venus drug is revealed. After a quick discussion with the miner and Kirk, it's revealed that she didn't actually have the Venus. When she put the pills in her mouth right at the end there... And it goes from looking, we'll say average, because obviously they used makeup to make her look less attractive, because that was the whole point, they were trying to overdo it. Also, you don't want the actress to feel bad, you don't want to just take her makeup off and say, look at her ugly face. <laughs> of course, they used makeup to age her and change her. But when she changed at the end, when she had the pills, Captain Kirk kind of laughs at one point and goes, you didn't have the Venus, the Venus drugs. We took the Venus drugs away. What you just ate was gelatin pieces made in the same shape as them so all that had happened as kirk describes is you just got more confident you swallowed those gelatin cubes and you believed you had had the venus drug therefore you were more confident and you held yourself differently and that's what made you more attractive not the drug the drug never made you more attractive because as mud said the drug only enhances what's already there she was already attractive the drug just made her feel confident enough to realize that and the miner realizes that too at that point. He's like, oh, so this is the real you. It's it's not fake. This is a part of you. And he sort of says, I'd like her to stay. I'd like to talk. Which, you know, suggests that he does like her and perhaps they will get married, which, you know, good for them. I don't think we ever hear from this planet or these people ever again. But like, whatever. It's kind of a happy ending. They got to sort of get over their lack of self-confidence and they got husbands just like they wanted from the start. I still find it particularly strange that there was no men at all and the only way for them to apparently meet men or get husbands was to get on a ship with a con man and travel who knows how far to meet men they had never met before. Like, that's a bit scary. Brings up a lot of sex trafficking kind of ideas in my mind. That's almost a weird... I know it's voluntary, but I feel like that's something that just isn't safe and is not a good way to be finding partners. Anyway... Yeah, that happens. And of course, Mud is taken into custody. And at this point, because he's obviously much happier now, he's realized his faults and the ship is almost out of power because he's been searching for her. And he says, yes, I'd like her to stay. You can take Mud and I'll give you the crystals. So, you know, all's well that ends well. The women end up getting married. Mud is taken into custody. Presumably the ship will be fixed between episodes as it goes into a dry dock somewhere. Or a space dock, I don't know what. I suppose space dock would be the real world, not dry dock. Dry dock's more for Navy ships coming out of the water. But uh, yeah, it would go repair. They got the crystals, so presumably their power, life support, all that stuff is fine. The women are married, and Mud is going into custody. So that's the end of that episode. And yeah. So I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I thought it was important, because that is a big part of, like, these episodes do try and cover social issues a lot of the time, and... I feel it's important to try and notice what those messages are and at the very least acknowledge them. You don't always have to agree with them. This one I actually do happen to agree with and this is one I don't know what the solution is. Look, I'm I'm a dude. I don't 
I don't wear makeup. I'm probably never going to wear makeup. It's never going to be something that affects me directly. But it is something that affects women in my life directly. And I do worry about that. A lot of these studies today talking about young girls and how it affects them growing up. I can only imagine if you've never let anyone but your family that you were born in the house with see your face without makeup or without filters since you were like eight years old. That that can't build much confidence in yourself. Like, what if they're broke at some point and they don't buy makeup? Are they just going to hide in their house? Are they going to not be able to function? Like, that's that's really worrying. I don't like where that's going. I don't like the direction that's going to go. A lot of young girls are going to be very messed up because of that, but equally, you can't just take it away. You should. You can't ban the whole makeup industry because of potential mental health effects because on the other side of it, it also does help women. A lot of people have problems. There's a lot of burn victims. There's a lot of... There's a thousand reasons why you might want to wear makeup to help you feel more normal. And, you know... Those people can't be denied just because of other effects, but it's one of those hard questions that Star Trek tries in its own little humble way to answer, and I think the important thing with these sorts of things in these shows is not so much that it gives you the answer, it is not dictating to you, it's not telling you what you should do, it's merely pointing out problems and showing you possible solutions sometimes, but a lot of the time it is just pointing it out, it's just awareness, be aware of this. Maybe some girl watching this episode one day will go to put makeup on in the morning and go, you know what? I don't want to be like those girls. I think I'm fine without it. And they might be happy. Who knows? But it's important that you take notice of those things because that is a big part of Star Trek. Especially going forward, there will be a lot more of that. Now, yeah, well, that's the end of this episode. So that's all I really have to say. I've got no other extra notes. Tomorrow, I know... I will say, I know, this episode came out a little late, it technically, when I'm recording this, it is, what, a stupid hour, yeah, nearly 3am, technically of the day after, so this is almost a full day after my first episode, don't worry, I'm gonna post this literally right now, and then I'm gonna go to bed, cause I'm damn tired, I shouldn't even be up this late, but I'm tired, I'm gonna go to bed, and I promise you, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I am going to immediately record the episode, and I'm going to set it up so that it comes out mid-afternoon tomorrow, so technically today you'll get two episodes, but this is part two of the seven-day special. Technically later today you'll get part three of the seven-day special, and then the next day I will do part four. We are still doing the seven-day special, never you worry. I'm just terrible with schedules, terrible at organizing my time, and that's why it's now 3 a.m. before I found the time to do this today. So thank you for listening. I will see you all in the next one. Goodbye.